man, shout to the Lord, all the earth. One day that's going to happen, by the way. One day that is going to happen. If you have your copy of God's Word, I would love for you to turn to the book of 1 Timothy, chapter 4. We're going to be looking at the first five verses of that chapter. Paul tells Timothy in the church at Ephesus that the wolves have arrived. He predicted this in Acts chapter 20 when he had a meeting with them, an off-site, if you want to call it that, with the elders from Ephesus. Acts chapter 20, verses 28 through 30. I'm going to read that first before we get in there. I want you to hear Paul's prophetic prediction, which we may think is very prophetic, but it's pretty obvious this is going to happen. Jesus made it very clear. Be on your guard for yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departure, he says, savage wolves will come in among you. Not sparing the flock, men will rise up even from your own number and distort the truth to lure the disciples into following them. Even from inside your own number. First Timothy 4 now. Now the Spirit explicitly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith paying attention to deceitful spirits and the teachings of demons through the hypocrisy of liars whose consciences are seared. They forbid marriage and demand abstinence from foods that God created to be received with gratitude by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, since it is sanctified by the word of God and by prayer. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this warning, this list of recognition we can have, and then what we can do about it. I pray, God, that our hearts will be open to what this is telling us this morning and, and give us the right discernment by your spirit of how to how to do this. We love you. We thank you for your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So Paul is telling him now the time has arrived. The time has come. And these elders or overseers need to step up and defend the flock, protect the flock. And Paul, by the inspiration of God, is writing this to Timothy, the pastor of the church at Ephesus, if you haven't been here for a while. Ephesus was a very prominent Roman colony. That city was important to the Roman Empire. So it was a big city. It was plagued by a lot of idolatry, pagan worship, and all kinds of things. And Paul is giving, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, giving instruction, encouragement, and advice in this letter to Timothy, a relatively young man, young pastor. And he's telling him today in this passage, he's telling him the wolves are there. The wolves have come. The wolves have arrived. Now, this isn't really a fun topic that pastors like to preach about a lot of times, about infiltrating you know, people in, our, in your church that have caused problems. We really, we really rather talk about Jesus, but we're going to talk about Jesus this morning, but we've got to talk about this too. Paul declares that the prophecy of false teaching and liars invading the church at Ephesus has now come true. And so the church of Jesus Christ, that's us, we must be careful. 
We must be careful and alert to the infiltration of errant ideologies that are opposed to the truth of God's word. That's what we're called to do. So how do we spot these wolves among us? And what do we do to remedy it? That's the lesson we're going to learn this morning from these passages. And God gives us two instructions here on to spot them and to diffuse their heresies. First of all, he wants you to recognize the apostates. We call them apostates. They're usually people who tell you they believed in Jesus, but then it turns out they don't. So that's just a fancy name for apostates, heretics, liars is a more preferable term. You know, false people, false teachers. So the prophets, you know, and, and, and he says at the beginning here, let me read the, the verses again. Now the Spirit explicitly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and the teachings of demons through the hypocrisy of liars whose consciences are seared. They forbid marriage and demand abstinence from foods. He says this has been something that has been spoken of before, that, that's people are going to come in and do this. Now, he talked about it in Acts 20, but prophets, even in the Old Testament, talked about one day there would be an infiltration of people coming in to try to trick people, confuse people. Jesus even talked about it many times. Matthew 24, 3 and 24 is a good place to look for that. The apostles then taught it because they had been taught by Jesus, and they talked about it a lot. Peter, James, John, and, their, and other places and now, as we just saw in Acts chapter 20, Paul had told them about it, that the wolves would sneak into the church. And now he tells them what they look like, which is a good thing for us to know, okay? Um, he, wants to, he wants to help them look for them in the actions and the distinguishing marks of people who are wolves among us. First of all, Paul tells them, they have departed from the faith. They've departed from the faith. But the truth is, they never really were of the faith. They just look like it. That's what wolves in sheep's clothing means. 1 John 2, 18 through 19, the apostle John writes this. Children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. By this we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not belong to us. For if they belonged to us, they would have remained with us. However, they went out so that it might be made clear that none of them belong to us. See, this is, this is the clear identifying. They depart from the faith. They stop acting like Christians. They stop promoting the truth. And the fact is that they never had the truth. They never really were born-again believers. Now, we may have baptized them. We may have put them on our church rolls, but it doesn't mean they were saved. That's going to happen. That's what Paul was talking about with wolves in sheep's clothing. Jesus tells, telling the parable of the sower, he talks about these people in one of the, the soils. And in Luke 8, 13, he says, And the seed on the rocks, rocky soil, was those who, when they hear, they receive the word with joy. But having no root, these believe for a while and fall away during a time of testing. This happens. It's happened. You know people that it's probably happened to doesn't mean they can't ever be saved, but it definitely makes uh, it a lot harder. But you know, one of the things I want us to think about here, you know, people can depart from the faith. And some people depart from the faith deliberately. They, they reject it. They walk away. Some people think they are believers and they get all the, they're going to get all the way to the end and they're going to say, Lord, Lord, did we not cast out demons, heal people? 
And these are the scare, this is the scariest set of words you can probably ever read in Scripture. Jesus said, I'm going to say the, to them, depart from me. I never knew you. That's scary. But Paul's telling us that they're not of us. That's why these wolves have started to infiltrate us and started to lead us astray. The second mark, the second way to recognize them is they spend too much time or really too much allegiance toward demonic teachings. They spend too much time on ideologies that they're letting come in and help them interpret the Bible. We got a lot of that going on right now, and I can't spend a whole sermon on that. But it's actual demonic things. Paul makes it very clear. When you start worshiping idols, you're worshiping demons. When you start chasing worldly ideas, you're chasing demonic ideas. Especially when they're contrary to Scripture. The third way to see them is they speak with false words. They speak with false words. They speak with hypocrisy. They speak with insincerity. They lie. You know, every list of sins I found in Scripture, at least somewhere in there is, a, is the, the sin of lying or deceit or, or trickery or something. It's like that sin bothers God a whole lot. You know why? That's what Satan did to Eve in the garden, but we'll talk about that in a minute. He just really despises that. But Paul has pointed out that this is already happening. If you flip back over a page to 1 Timothy 1, verses 3 through 9, listen what he told Timothy already. As I urge you when I went to Macedonia, remain in Ephesus so that you may instruct certain people not to teach false doctrine or to pay attention to myths and endless genealogies. These promote empty speculations rather than God's plan, which operates by faith. So he has already told them there are people out there. As a matter of fact, he even mentions two guys' names, uh, Hymenius and Alexander, that they are... He's kind of turned them over to Satan so that they can learn not to blaspheme God. Paul's hoping that they're just kind of lost their way a little bit. He's hoping they haven't departed from the faith. And then the last thing that he says is a good mark, their consciences are seared. That word in the Greek actually is the word we use for carterize. To basically carterize something, to make it where it has no feeling anymore. I know some people have had that done to the nerves in their body to, to help get rid of some pain, but their consciences are seared. They're insensitive. They're unable to discern or unwilling to discern what's right or wrong. They're carterized against conviction. They just don't see it anymore, and they don't care. These passages I'm going to read you now kind of sum up what's happened. Luke 9, 62, Jesus said this. Luke 9, 62, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Now, he's not talking about what we kind of call backsliding. That's not what Jesus is talking about, really. He's talking about someone who, who wants to, says they want to plow and then really goes back. Kind of like Lot's wife, who was told not to look back at Sodom and Gomorrah, and she did because she missed that lifestyle. She wanted to go back to that lifestyle. Hebrews 6, 4 through 6. I want you to look that up with me because this is really good. This is the writer of Hebrews he is explaining to this congregation, I think this is a sermon that's been transcribed for us, he's explaining to this congregation that this is going to happen, and this is kind of what it looks like. Hebrews 6, verses 4 through 6. Let's read this. For it is imp impossible. Boy, it's really a tough word to see in Scripture. For it is impossible to renew to repentance those who were once enlightened, 
who tasted the heavenly gift, who shared in the Holy Spirit, who tasted God's good word and the powers of the coming age, and who have fallen away. This impossibility is because, to their own harm, they are re-crucifying the Son of God and holding him up to contempt. Wow. Now, I believe in taking God's word literally, and I think what we're reading there is what really happens. People have participated. They've been in church. They've had wonderful worship services with us. They've raised their hands and sung to the top of their lungs. They've done good work in the name of the church. But they're not of us. This is kind of what's happening to these people. These wolves... Now, a wolf doesn't need to meet all four of these. This isn't like a checklist. This is just stuff that is a way to spot a potential wolf. Sometimes they may just be struggling. Someone may be struggling with a sin, may be struggling. But but anyone who has an unrepentant attitude, we need to watch out for. We need to encourage them. We need to help them if we can, if they're willing to be helped. But this, the war, this warning is the very point of this, this whole passage, is that there is going to be wolves come into your church. And they are already there, Timothy. And we can take that same warning. Liars will come. Now he gives a couple of tutorials, if you will, a couple of examples of what this is going to look like. And it's already looking like, obviously, in Ephesus. First of all, they taught that marriage is forbidden by God. That's what they were teaching. They were telling the people, hey, you shouldn't be getting married. Matter of fact, some some scholars to record in history that they actually went so far as to tell people to get divorced because it was against God's will. It's a lie, okay? They demonize God's designs. They, they turn them into something that they're not. They call them something they're not. And, and, and what's interesting about Satan's schemes, he always takes something that, that we, we embrace and he adds a little something to it or he takes a little something away. It's just very, very subtle. So he's, he's making them think that by being single, they're more pious. They're more righteous in God's eyes. They are not. And that's what Satan does. He takes a little something. Just ask Eve about that, okay? I mean, Satan asks her a question, and then he questions it, and he turns it just a little bit. You know, here's one thing about marriage. I'm going to take a marriage break here. Marriage is something that Satan really, really, really despises. You know why he hates it so much? Because it's one thing God put in the garden that's still good. He didn't ruin it. Marriage is still something God wants us to do. Still something he blesses. And, and Satan hates that. It's the one thing that probably survived the garden besides the humans. The Garden of Eden. Now celibacy is okay. If you want to be single, there's nothing wrong with that. Paul talks about that in Corinthians. You can read about that. There's nothing wrong with that. But... God will condemn the sexually immoral people. So being single isn't an excuse to be sexually active and promiscuous. I mean, that's what Satan really hopes. He hopes to lead people away from marriage, God's design. He hopes to lead them out there into singleness and then trap them with sexual promiscuity. I mean, he really does. And some of us here can testify to that lie. That is a lie. Sexual dysphoria, the sexual dysphoria that's going on in our culture today, it is rooted in the lie that your body is yours to do with as you please, that you can choose how to live it, live in it. And it's a lie. God has designs on your body. He set your body here for a purpose. 
And he has a much better plan. And I promise it'll be better. I promise that God's design for marriage is much better when we do it according to his rules and his ways. Example number two. Here's the second tutorial of of what it looks like. Food. We we love food, don't we? I love food. Um, But this is probably specific items that they're saying abstain from. And Paul says, this is ridiculous. But see, Satan hopes to convince people, and I've seen it happen even in our time, convince people that if they give something up, they're they're right with God. (laughs) It's, It's just amazing. But that's because they don't know their Bible. We're going to get to that in a minute. Pork, pork does not send someone to hell. And that's what the Jews were not allowed to eat. They weren't allowed to eat pig. But that was a different reason. God had a different motive behind that. Alcohol does not condemn someone to hell. Tobacco doesn't condemn anybody to hell. Okay? I could go on. The list could be long and endless. There is no salvation in abstaining from those things. Okay? There isn't. There's, there's help and there's righteousness from not getting drunk, not overeating, not smoking and killing yourself with the tobacco and the nicotine. Those, those are good things, but there's no salvation in them. Not at all. You know, there's many items in the world that they're not healthy and they can lead to idols in our own life. Sometimes food becomes my idol. I love some good, love some good barbecue. You know, um, they lead to idols they, or they'll cost you resources that you could be spending on something more edifying, whether it's given to missions or whether it's just helping your family out. But I will say this, gluttony is a sin. You don't hear too many preachers preach on gluttony because we like our food. But it is a sin. Gluttony is a sin. Now, just eating too much one meal is not gluttony, okay? It was maybe a poor judgment, but it's not gluttony. But we could talk about that another. Overeating and overindulging in anything is a sin. God teaches in his word moderation for everything. Moderation, moderation, moderation. Nothing should become your idol. Nothing should become an addictive substance to you. You shouldn't be chasing things because you think you have to have it. That's idolatry. What God gives us is self-control. Spiritual self-control. Self-control is a spiritual discipline that God wants us to exercise. Now, we don't have to do this on our own. See, self-control doesn't mean self-only. When you're talking as a Christian, it means the Holy Spirit is going to help you. Matter of fact, it's a fruit of the Spirit. It's number nine on the list of fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5. God wants to help us to be self-controlled. So that's my sidebar on food. But there is, there is only one fact. There is only one truth that sends anybody to hell. And that's not believing in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ as their only Savior. That's the only thing that sends people to hell. That's the only thing. Amen? I hope you agree. Rejecting God's son is the only thing that sends us to hell. But these people are teaching that all this other extraneous stuff will send you to hell. So these apostates, these wolves, they seek to disrupt with the lies that they spread. The lies against the truth of Jesus. And that's what Paul's going to talk about in a minute. They don't care about anybody but themselves. Their, their conscience is cauterized. 
They're out for their own agenda, their own position, their own prestige, their own power, their own resources. That's all they're out for. So anyone, and I mean even today, anyone who teaches, who insists, who vows, who promotes ideas that violate the grace, oh, the grace that is in God's word. Anybody that teaches that, they're a wolf. And they need to be disciplined, they need to be removed or avoided. We need to avoid them and take care of them. That's guarding the flock. God's church can't harbor that. We cannot tolerate that. Heretical ideas that people have and are trying to promote in the church. Now, some of us are confused on doctrines, and I got that. I'm still confused on a few of them myself. Okay? That's not what I'm talking about. It's when you actually are promoting the gospel or something different than the gospel. You're actually attacking the gospel, and you want to spread these lies around. If we don't take care of it as a church, we'll be neutralized. We won't be effective in our mission to get the gospel out there. Jude, go to Revelations and take a left. Jude, half-brother of Jesus, wrote this book. And in it, he was going to write a letter to them to encourage them as a church, this, this group of believers. But he had to stop and change direction with his letter. Look at verses 3 and 4. Dear friends, although I was eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was delivered to the saints once for all. For some people, you can substitute the word in wolves, for some people who were designated for this judgment long ago have come in by stealth. They snuck in. They are ungodly, turning the grace of our God into sensuality, and denying Jesus Christ, our only master and Lord. And then toward the end of the, of the book, in verses 17 through 19, he says, But you, dear friends, remember what was predicted by the apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ. They told you, in the end times, there will be scoffers living according to their own ungodly desires. These people create divisions and are worldly, not having the Holy Spirit. It's going to happen, and it has happened, even in our day. Uh, unfortunately, I've, I've talked to brothers in Christ and pastors who have just ha seen this happen to their churches. You remember the line a long time ago, I'm not a doctor, but I play one on TV? Remember that line? Some of you may not remember that. I think it was a, a soap opera star that did that in, in one of the soap operas that was in a hospital. But that's exactly what these wolves do. They pretend to be something they're not. They speak lies as if they were truths. They, they speak about myths as if it was history. They tell us half-truths with a very evil intent to derail our faith. And so the first line of defense is to be able to recognize them and to know they're there. And, and Paul's given us that very clearly here, to know that ad, this adversary is going to try to come among us, knowing the enemy is coming. Paul Revere, very famous for his ride to warn of the, the colonists that the British army was moving from Boston to Lexington and Concord. Without that knowledge, the colonists and the Continental Army would have been caught off guard, unaware, and defeated. So God has given us this warning so we're not caught off guard, okay? Infiltrators will attempt to confuse, they will attempt to mislead, and divide Christ's followers. You now know that they will come. Now you know what they look like. They're pretenders. They pretend to be one of us. They're futile thinkers. They chase all kinds of ideas. 
and things that are contrary to Scripture. And then they go to the point of when you don't follow them, they lie to you. They distort the truth. They try to add something to it. They try to make you second guess it. They spin the truth to confuse. They disguise everything in half-truths. Remember, half-truth is half-lie, okay? And any lie, God just does not like. And they're very insensitive to the pain that they will cause. A body of Christ, a group of people, they will betray their own friends to get their way when they get to a certain point. Some, some examples today, you know, we might see in the culture is, you know, abortion proponents. People who are for abortion, they say God's okay with that. They, they'll quote some scripture. I've had an argument with one over Twitter. It was like, he's misinterpreting that passage. The LGBTQ plus advocates Someone's even said that Sodom and Gomorrah was not destroyed because of homosexuality, but because of hospitality. He didn't read his Bible completely. I mean, even Jude in his book mentions that, why Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed. Government welfare ideas that think that the government should give us all what we need. Pay off our student loans. That's just one idea. But the other things. Anti-religion protesters. People that don't want any kind of religious activity going on in the public square. You know, there's a place in Birmingham, England right now that you, there, there's a law on their books that you cannot pray quietly across the street from an abortion clinic. A lady's been arrested twice. Other people have been arrested there. They tried to pass it through Parliament, so it was a whole law across the entire nation of England, and it failed, praise God. But Birmingham still has it as an ordinance on their books. It's a crazy. It's just insane. But these are easy to spot. If you're a believer and you know anything about your Bible, you can see these. They're, they're pretty obvious. And most of the time, they're not inside the walls of our church building. But what about those that are inside? Here's a few examples. One, people deny the leadership structure of the church or the family. You know, the, the male headship that's spoken of in Scripture. They rewrite the roles of the genders, what women can do and men can do. Some of them rewrite it too strict. <laughs> Some of them go the other direction, okay? So I'm not just talking about those who, who want it to change in a, in a more progressive, they call it, liberal direction. Our church is more concerned sometimes over maintenance of things as opposed to the mission of the church. To use resources to that end. They, they care more about missions in our homeland than missions across the globe, and then, of course, the prosperity gospel group is out there that tell you that if you believe in Jesus Christ, he'll bless you with all kinds of money and stuff. Boy, what a lie. Now, I tell you all this, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm pounding on it a little bit, but I don't want to create an atmosphere of suspicion here, okay? Don't squint at everybody you see that comes in the door or even your own fellow church members. That's not the point here. The point is not to create suspicion or paranoia, okay? But to be wary, to be careful. And we have methods to do that. Methods to do this tactfully. A membership class is one such example. It's a chance for me to tell them what we believe, where our faith stops and will not budge any further, what we actually believe. That's what a membership class does. It tells them that, they can decide. They get to know about us first before any transaction takes place. Our uncompromising position in doctrines. We also ask them for a testimony. 
a testimony of their experience with Christ. They're, they're coming to faith in Jesus. It's a chance for two-way conversation to happen, for us to discern what they believe and if they believe in Christ and if they are saved. And I know people that have, because of a membership Christ, realized they didn't have an experience with Christ and they got saved, praise Jesus. So it's a good thing. So we need to be not paranoid, okay? Please. We need to be welcoming, but careful. We need to be friendly, but authentic. We need to be open, but aware of what's going on among us. So we can spot the wolves and help the sheep. Don't ever forget we got that responsibility too, okay? That we can see the wolves, but we can also help the sheep. And discerning between the two is something we need to depend on the Holy Spirit for. I don't have all the answers. Don't even want to pretend to. So that's first, recognizing the, the wolves, recognizing the apostates. And then Paul says that the false teachers will come, but now that you've recognized them and their lies and schemes, you've got a solution. He's going to give you an antidote. And the antidote is re-emphasizing the truth. Re-emphasizing the truth that we know. You can go back up to verse 16 in chapter 3. Here's the truth. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. That's the truth that Jesus Christ came, lived, died, was buried and rose to save us from our sins. So we need to reemphasize that truth. And Paul now gives them the anecdote to these liars and these wolves and all these people that promote the demonic ideas. And it starts with, as he says here in verse 3b, that God created. Start with that. God is the creator. He is the only creator. This did not evolve. This, we see, did not just manufacture out of a swamp. God spoke. Creation happened. He just said, let there be light. And there was. He didn't have to help, have man's help at all. See, the very fact, the very truth, the very doctrine that we hold to, that God is the only sole creator of the universe, that, that settles a lot of discussion, especially about foods, but other things in life. We need to remember that he is God. All of life, God created, must be enjoyed, though, with thanksgiving, gratitude, humble appreciation. We need to be thankful for what we have. And that's what Paul is telling them. Even the things we don't like, like Brussels sprouts. I don't like Brussels sprouts. Ugh. But I'm thankful for them because some people do. I'm glad you like them. Knock yourself out. Paul says this gratitude, though, must flow from the people who believe and trust as well as know the truth. Notice how he put those in believe and trust. If you look at that verse 4, let me get back to that. To be received with gratitude by those who believe and know the truth. See, faith comes first. And then you get all kinds of knowledge. You know, you, you have enough knowledge to trust Jesus, and then you do, and boy, you just... The floodgates open. The Holy Spirit, Paul talks about that in 1 Corinthians 2. You believe and trust and you know God's truth. Believers in Jesus, they've trusted Christ, which includes trusting and having faith in God's divine act of creation. With that position on truth, with that knowledge that you gain because of being a believer in Jesus Christ, we give praise and glory to God for these blessed things. See, that's, that's what God says. It's like, if you know the truth, you know where that, these foods came from. You know where marriage came from. You know where anything else that they're trying to say God's against came from. And because you know that, you give him glory 
by partaking in it. And you should give him thanks, which is really completely opposite of what the wolves do. Matter of fact, hear, hear what Paul says in Romans 1.25. He says, they exchange the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served what has been created rather than the creator. You know, it's funny, almost every physical idol I ever see is some other kind of creature. It could be something human looking, but a lot of times it's a, a lizard, a snake, a goat, a beaver, a dam, I, I mean a calf, it's all kinds of stuff. They worship the created rather than the creator, who is to be praised forever, Paul says, amen. That is why Jesus declared all foods clean. You can go back to Mark 7, 19. He declared all foods clean when he was talking to the disciples. Their use brings God glory. I mean, that's the beautiful thing about it. Um, I like to say sometimes I'm eating to the glory of God. Sometimes I eat too much to the glory of God, but I eat, too much, but I eat for the glory of God. Hebrews 13, 9. Here's another warning from the, the writer of Hebrews. He says, don't be led astray by various kinds of strange teachings. For it is good for the heart to be established by grace and not by food regulations, since those who observe them have not benefited. See, our freedom is to use the creation of the world that, and, and let it be governed by the motives of our heart that's changed by the power of Jesus Christ. We must get God glory by the way we use these things. Romans eleven thirty six, Paul says, For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. See, everything created by God is good and acceptable. Everything. I know some of you are like, everything? Everything. When we partake everything God created, we're going to talk about that in a second. When we partake with gratitude and moderation, God receives glory. You ever wonder why we say our blessing at the, before our meals? Why we say thanks to God for it? Because we want God to get glory from what we're about to partake of. That's the whole point. That's where that tradition came from. Not a bad tradition. Now, there are some limits and prohibitions to things, especially man-made items that that's not what this is talking about. Drugs are one example. Obviously, there are medicines for good things, but there's also those out there that are bad. But these gifts of creation, these gifts, of, they're sanctified. They're, they're set apart. They're consecrated by word and prayer. That's what he says at the very end there. Last part of the, of actually verse 5. Since it is sanctified by the word of God and by prayer. Our devotion, listen to me, our devotion and use of the creation must come with God's truth in our hearts and his prayers on our lips. When we use these foods, when we take partake of these things that God created and devote ourselves in a sense to them, we must come with God's truth in our hearts and his prayers on our lips. So we can... We can keep the apostates away and guard against the wolves. We must devote our hearts. We must devote our hearts and minds and strength to the truth of God. That means this book right here, spending time in it, reading it, examining it, asking questions about it. Truth in our hearts and, and minds roots out the lies that these wolves would use to distract us and lead us astray. And that Satan uses. Satan's all the time trying to get you to compromise the truth by some t 
temptation. James, the, the other half-brother of Jesus, he says this, Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. It's all from him. It's good. You know, how do you recognize the wrong things? Is There's a story out there about treasury agents. How do they know what counterfeit is and what isn't? They spend more time with the authentic stuff. They know what U.S. dollars feel like, look like, smell like, taste like. They spend time with that. They don't spend time with fakes because there's such a wide variety of how they could be faked. They want to know the authentic. That's that's, that's a great illustration of what we need to do. There's also a phrase out there, the real McCoy. Heard that phrase, right? I want the real McCoy. You know, that phrase does not have a solid origin of where it came from. I found just in one Google search three different areas that it came from. One was about a boxer, one was about an inventor, and one was about Irish whiskey, which I'm not sure what, how that one got in there. But there were so many imitations of something by the guy named McCoy, no one could tell which one was true. I think there were more than three. I just I didn't have time to dig very deep. But that confusion, we don't have to have. We can know the truth because we have the truth. The truth of Jesus Christ, the truth that God gives us. If you want to see the enemy, you've got to know the real McCoy, if you will, what it looks like. And here's, this is your mission. This is what you do. You study your Bible. We have Bible study here every Sunday morning after the service. We're trying to seriously and carefully break down scriptures and talk about what these scriptures mean so that you know. We're not pandering to the modern ideas out there. We may talk about them, but we're not trying to adapt them to scripture or use scripture to explain them away or use them to interpret scripture. We want good sources. We use solid information and we're careful and patient. That's one of the things I, I stress with people studying the Bible is they want to they just read it like a novel and, and grasp it all. Look, I've been reading the Bible for 40 years, and I still learn something almost every time I pick it up because it is a living, active word. It's living and active. It changes according to the things you're going through. You will see things in here that you just didn't see before, no matter how many times you've read it. That's why we stay in it. Another part of your mission is to pray, to pray, to ask God for guidance, to ask God for help, to ask God for discernment. And then if you happen to confront somebody, ask God for courage. The disciplines of our faith walk, you know, praying, reading your Bible, coming to worship, worshiping privately, evangelism, journaling is a, a good discipline, kind of exploring your own thoughts in light of scripture. These all help ensure that we're not paranoid but that we're just alert. We can, we can see the truth that's being maybe discredited. We can be grounded in Christ. Now, another thing that this teaches us is also to be devoted fully to God's way of doing things. It's kind of a positive spin on this, but all you do at work, at home, at school, in your daily activities, needs to be submitted to God's way, God's truth. You know, we don't need to just be nice on Sunday. We need to be nice all week long, okay? We don't need to be just nice to each other. We need to be nice to the people outside. That's what a church does. That's what believers do. We need to give God say in our life. Give him the rights 
to tell us how to live over our time, our talents, and our treasures. That is how we sanctify our lives. That is how we can approach this with the right attitude, the right motivations in our hearts. We don't need to worry about what other people are doing. We just need to do this. And if everybody focused on themselves, we would have a, probably a much better way of going about this. We need to try this week. I would encourage you this week to try and surrender one area of your life that you may not have completely given God all of it to. Yes, I know you have those. No, I'm not reading your mail. I have those. It is the facts. Our sin is deep, and we have to sometimes root it out. We need to deny ourselves. We need to refine our mind and our heart and trust God in all areas of our life, re-emphasizing the truth of God. That's what Paul says is important. In your life daily, that's the best remedy for seeing Satan's lies and Satan's schemes. So in summary, Paul basically gives Timothy and the church some clear advice and warnings regarding false teachers, regarding people that come in and try to distort God's truth. He's, he's done that for Timothy. He's going to talk some more about that and relate to that, relate to that some more. Now, most of us, I think most of us here, we don't really like being fooled or tricked or scammed. We really don't like that, you know. We don't like the tricksters and... Um, and, we, and we, sometimes we get to the point where we actually are afraid of it. And we do a lot of things. We, we enlist ID protection, LifeLock, or we have an antivirus on our computer, or we have some kind of fraud alert set with our bank or our credit cards to let us know when someone's trying to scam us or steal from us. We're trying to keep it from happening. That's a good thing. There's nothing wrong with that because there's people out there trying to take your information. Well, let me tell you, Paul just gave us a church life virus alert. There are going to be wolves. There are going to be viruses in your church. Be ready for them. Liars and pretenders will infiltrate. Satan will insidiously invade the church. And it's going to happen more and more, I think, over time as our society moves further and further away from God's truth and more and more into Satan's lies. So we need to be ready for that. But the, and we are. The antidote... It's the truth of God's word and prayer. That's the antidote. That's, that's what we need. That's our inoculation, if you want to go that way. So let's, as we come to our pastoral prayer time, let's take some time and, and pray how to protect, but also how to receive souls who need Jesus. Remember, we've got to watch out for the wolves and take care of the sheep. And, and sometimes it's hard to tell the difference. So let's pray for some discernment. Let's pray because we must do both. Let's have a time of prayer silently, and then I'll close us out after a few minutes.